Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. When I was a kid growing up, I used to always wish I had lived through World War II. I used to think about like how it would have been for kids in London, right? Like during the Blitz or even before the Blitz, like in 1939, when they evacuated like two million kids, um, actually even more than that. Um, they put them on those trains, right? They sent them out to the countryside. I used to, I grew up with so many World War II kind of narratives and stories, like figures of the faith, all kinds of stories that came out of that moment that I used to be like, oh man, like I wish I had been there. I wish I had lived through that. I wish I had been like tested by those times, you know, like see what it was like to, to, you know, have to really worry about Nazis or like the Gestapo or, um, or just like the bombing raids over London, things like that. I just had that so much in my sort of mind, my imagination growing up because of the sort of the, the stories that I grew up with that I used to like, almost like they had like a weird, like desire, like, Oh man, I wish, I wish I had been there. I wish I had seen that. And that desire did not change that much as I got older and like watched Indiana Jones and stuff. I was like, dang it, there it is again. Oh, man. Or like The Great Escape or like any number of incredible movies, films, or stories where I was just like, man. And then I would look around at the time in which I live. It was like the 80s or the 90s. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, how boring. How ridiculous. Oh, what are we even doing? Puffy shirts and big hair and whatever we were up to. And, and it just seemed like so less exciting, so less like interesting and challenging. I've been thinking about that lately as we have been facing a, a pandemic that the world hasn't seen quite in this way before. Or I should say like in the same way as, as in a digital space that we have seen it as the world has become so globally sort of connected to itself. Um, we're in now a new kind of thing, a new kind of moment. Now, I hadn't planned on like making a Corona pod uh, just because I was like, oh, you know, keep calm, carry on, everyone relax. Like, let's just do the next thing. Um, you know, let's do whatever we had planned. Um, but I've been feeling it. I've been feeling tension. I've been feeling people getting anxious or people being flippant or people asking questions or people wondering. And when they started shutting the churches down, when, when, I mean, our church is small. So like we, we were able to have service, uh, last week, uh, blessing of a, <laughs> of a small church is, there was no real danger last week when, when the number was like 250 and, and, uh, above need to shut down um and then it went down to 50 and now it's down to 10 and uh and so we're just we're living in a moment where i thought you know what all right let's talk about it let's talk about some of the things that that are going on let's talk about some of the things that i'm seeing and maybe i can try to encourage you wherever you are to uh you know to i don't know to see something in this where the lord is able to be on the move right where the lord is able through the the general climate of sort of awkwardness or tension or fear or what have you the lord is able to 
do something mighty in a season like this. So what I'm going to do is a little different, um, but I'm going to talk through a little bit about what I'm seeing. I'm going to talk a little bit about the the vibe I'm getting. I'm going to try to sort of describe things in a way that um, may be helpful, describe some of the challenges I think we're facing, uh, and particularly I'm speaking as Christians, but in general as people, and then uh, try to give some encouragements as, as a way to, ways of thinking as, as we're going through uh, self-imposed isolation, lockdown, all the kinds of things, quarantine stuff that we are living in. The first thing I would say, though, is the nature of this moment is, is weird because this is like this unseen virus. Like you can see images of people sick and stuff, but you can't, you can't really see where this thing is. It's kind of like, it's kind of like this invisible cloud that's like over the country. You know, it has like this amorphous kind of reality to it. It feels like it's, it's there, but it's sort of not sure where it is. And we're going on walks outside. We're meeting our neighbors for the first time, but we're like also keeping our distance as we meet our neighbors. Uh, everyone is going through it at the same time, which is a very unique uh, experience. And yet we don't know where it is. And we don't know, maybe even more importantly, we don't know how long it's going to be. You know, at first, like the schools, they said, oh, give it a couple weeks. And now, you know, uh, at least Gavin Newsom in California is like, there's no way. There's no way people are going back to school in June until the end of the semester. Um, and so there's like this timelessness to it. it. It's like, well, how long is this going to be? Where is it? It's like this kind of cloud, this kind of general cloud of like unknowing, of just like uncertainty. And so... It's so interesting to me because it has this feel like it's like a manifestation of what people, what many people experience is like mental illness or what many people experience is like, um, you know, anxiety or depression, right? It has this kind of quality to it. It's like, well, where is that? Well, why do you feel that way? Well, why can't you just get out of it? And it's like, well, it's just, a, it's just, it's just it's somewhere. It's just around, like it's around in this space. So then of course, like everybody else, Lisa and I were like, all right, let's kick off uh, the, the Corona New Year um, by, you know, having some snacks and watching Frozen 2 with our kids because Disney Plus is like, hey, everyone's home all of a sudden. Let's let's get Frozen 2 into their hands. Um, and so so we're watching Frozen 2 the other night. And of course, now the joke is how many times have you seen it? Because everyone's been home. So there's like 15 times. But Frozen 2 is a mad dark film. And as I was watching it, I was like, what in the Frozen 2 is happening here? Like Olaf, like no spoilers, but like Olaf is going through like a, a low level, like existential crisis. Uh, and, and like everybody in the film is like aware of this like general dread and like despair, like the the songs in it were just like i'm watching this thing with like a two-year-old and a three-year-old and i'm like this is a bit heavy like this is a bit this is a bit much like one of the songs right anna's alone dark in a cave all by herself and she starts saying this i've seen dark before but not like this this is cold this is empty this is numb the life i knew is over <laughs> sorry producer zach is is chuckling because it's so intense the life i knew is over this the lights are out hello darkness i'm ready to succumb i'm watching this and i'm looking at my, my two-year-old daughter and i'm like no baby no baby don't 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 because she's too she's high verbal you know she'll she'll be like i'm ready to succumb too and i'm like no no don't succumb and then it keeps going 
I follow you around, I always have, but you've gone to a place I cannot find. This grief has a gravity. It pulls me down, but a tiny voice whispers in my mind. And then I want to say, like, oh, the tiny voice is like, hope. And then the line is, you are lost. Hope is gone. But you, <laughs> but you, but then it's, but you must go on and do the next right thing. And Lisa and I are like, look at each other like, geez, Louise. Now, it keeps going. Can there be a day beyond this night? I don't know anymore what's true. I can't find my direction. I'm all alone. The only star that guided me was you. How to rise from the floor when it's not you I'm rising for. Just do the next right thing. Take a step. Step again. It is all that I can do. The next right thing. Bridge. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath, this next step, this next choice is one that I can make. Verse 4, so I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly toward the light, and do the next right thing. And with the dawn, what comes then? When it's clear that everything will never be the same again, then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. So (laughs) I was like, we're sitting down. Disney Plus, you know, come on, Disney, like, cheer us up. And and every character in this like Disney movie was going through like like it was like they went up to the edge of like the nothing or like the no self and they were like staring into the abyss and i'm like man when you got this like when you got the funny like uh i almost said snow cone when you got the funny snowman thing like talking about like despair at a level i was just like what is happening and you know this film was like made like made right like a year or two ago right it was like written two or three years ago it was like or it was at least written like over a year ago right when they decided to start planning the thing and i'm like thinking about like man frozen 2 is like literally like how to deal with depression how to deal with anxiety and mental illness like there's literally this whole the storyline revolving around this enchanted forest that's in this like trapped in this fog where like you can't it's just like not functioning right like there's this this gravity of grief, like this despair around every corner, this low level, like everything's uncertain, changes everywhere and no one knows what's next. And I'm like thinking about this and I'm thinking the makers of this film, the producers, the writers, etc., they were there. There's a kid's movie. And, and I was like, man, this is a heck of a kid's movie. It's one thing to have like Bambi's mom die. Right. Or like Mufasa die when that's a, that's that's heavy, right? Like Disney's known to go like heavy and be like no more parents, um, like that. That's a thing that happens in Disney. They definitely go like or up like the first ten minutes of up, just like oh forget it, right? I can't even get out of bed after I watch that, right? Like it's just overwhelming. But there are certain things there where I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is a movie that's made because we have a country that has been experiencing mental health problems despair anxiety depression amongst very very young people for years now and i wanted to be like these are such adult like ideas and things this is so intense and then i and i started thinking you know what these people are thinking about like nine-year-olds right who are like you know committing suicide they're thinking they're thinking about all this crazy stuff that has actually been going on in in the land of young people and i thought oh man it was just such a weird moment to like see what our our storytelling to children is is reflecting back and basically it, it unfolded in a way that was like it was like we had gone to therapy for our depression and the film was trying to give us a way to move forward 
when we were uh, just overwhelmed with anxiety and and having a cloud of depression. Like I highlighted one song that was particularly obvious, but it is a thread, a strong thread throughout the film. The language, the therapeutic language, do the next right thing. You can't see further down the road. You know, you just have to make the choice in front of you, right? Like it was like, it was like Disney and this film and the writers, it was like they were trying to collectively give therapy to uh, this country's young people, like to how to deal with the darkness and the despair. And, and I don't know, there was something about going to a film to escape or to just take a break from tension, anxiety, and then watching that like, man, we've been in this for a while. We've been in this long enough that it's become the storyline of our children's films, right? Like there is something that has been going on that's not just this corona thing that that people haven't been well for a while and 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 it's getting harder and harder for people. And so uh, man, it just sort of it just sort of caught me like what do we do as Christians in yes, a time like this with this pandemic going on with these extreme measures that we feel like we're having to take. But like as just a culture, man, like we we have been trying to process things and not doing it very well. And it's almost like to me it feels like this coronavirus thing is like a manifestation of of a culture of of mental illness and like anxiety. Like it is this amorphous thing. It feels like it's it's out there. Um, we're not like, I mean, many, most of us are not suffering. Like, we're inconvenienced, but it's totally not that big of a deal for most people if they're just staying home and, like, reading and watching things. It's annoying. I mean, like, you know, it can be frustrating. It'll stir crazy. Um, you know, I, corona, corona bod is going to be a thing if you don't get exercise. <laughs> We're going to start packing on the LBs. Like, it's it's totally inconvenient. It's very weird. But it also just felt like, I don't know, like it had this aspect to it that felt familiar in a way that um, that I don't think we had been handling well previously. So watching like adults like freak their minds out has been interesting. And then watching other adults not take it seriously at all has been interesting. And then trying to find the sane adults in the middle who are like trying to be serious, trying to be, you know, normal, calm, be like, Hey, if, if suffering is having to stay home a little bit more, I'm pretty sure most of the people in the developing world would, would be very happy with our level of suffering. Right? Like, I'm sure there's something in this just like serious wake up call. What do you think suffering actually means? But watching grown adults react in extreme ways, uh, panic, fear, or extreme ways is like dismissing everything. Um, to me, is just manifesting where we've been at for years now. Like people have not negotiated challenges uh, for years now in a healthy way. And I'm going to say Christians, man. I'm going to say Christians are are at the top of that list of not handling things very well. So I, you know, I've seen a handful of different kinds of responses in the Christian world that I'm going to get to, but. I just think there's a few unique challenges that I want to I want to just talk through briefly to maybe help us to maybe think about this in a way that isn't completely ridiculous and isn't completely dismissive. Okay, both of those are are ridiculous. Panic and uh, being overly casual is is just foolish. Um, one thing I would say is this: um, you got to balance your headlines with your history. Uh, we are 
overwhelmingly connected. Um, we have a 24-hour news cycle that is on like crack um, because you can get it from almost any source in any way you want. Um, the more sensational tends to get trafficked more often. Uh, the amount of misinformation is staggering. The amount of confusion and hysteria is staggering. And then the amount of dread and like like worrisomeness of what I would say are absolutely solid and good and vetted uh, sources. Like I'm, I'm only taking in news that I like trust from certain sources that I think are obviously uh, vetted and obviously reliable. And the kind of news I'm taking in is, is sometimes bringing me down to a place that's just like, oh, geez. Like I was going to read an article the other day and it was talking about the likelihood of this being 18 months. 18 months and, and, and 18 months, why? Because the attempt right now to do this thing they're calling flatten the curve, the attempt right now is, is to slow the spread of this virus so that we're stretching out the spread of the virus over months. The virus is going to spread no matter what. The idea is to slow it down so that it spreads over months instead of weeks, right? And I know we probably already all know this by now. Because if it spreads over weeks, then we get, we get Italy, and we get an overwhelmed, exhausted uh, medical system that that collapses. We get a, uh, we get a, we we get to run out of ventilators. We get people um, as they are in in hospitals in the north of Italy, particularly, dying in lobbies because they have no attention because the doctors are overworked and there's too many people at once who got sick. Right? Um, it's not that this is the worst kind of virus in the universe. It's that it has the potential to spread so fast and so quickly that it'll completely exhaust and collapse a healthcare system. So we're trying to slow the virus down so that doctors and staff and hospitals themselves and medical products are not completely exhausted. And then we are having to choose, which they're having to do in Italy, choose between the 45-year-old with three kids and the 45-year-old with two kids. Right? Who are we going to give the ventilator to? I mean, that 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 is legitimate uh, stuff that's happening right now. So it is super serious. But the idea of how long will this be? First, let's just stop being so selfish, right? It doesn't need to be two weeks because it's inconvenient for us, especially if it's our grandparents and people with pre-existing conditions or respiratory issues who are most vulnerable, like dear Lord Christians, right? Like you're supposed to love your neighbor. So you should be doing everything in your power to slow this down and not complaining about it. Um, but we're trying to slow it down, right? We're trying to slow it down, stretch it out over months. Well, then the idea is if that is successful, you don't like then speed it back up again by going all back to normal life in some sudden gust of like school and theaters and stuff like that. So some of the estimations that are coming out is that this could be months and months and months and months and months and, or it could be a pattern of isolation for five months back to relative normality for a few weeks or a month, level spike or start to spike again, isolation for five more months. I mean, you're talking about a timeline that people are not going to be able to wrap their heads around. That's what I would say. You're talking about an uncertainty. And these are just estimations. So I'm not saying this is for sure. But the logic of what's happening is you're trying to slow something down that would otherwise spread too fast for us to be able to cope with, right? And so if you're doing it well and it's working, it needs to last longer, right? The, the measures you're taking to isolate and to avoid each other and to take care of each other by, 
by respecting each other enough to, to not be, you know, selfish um, and just doing whatever you want to do. If that works, then it's going to take longer, right? Like that would be the sign of its success is that it's taking a long time. So I don't think we can wrap our heads around that. I don't think we can, we can fathom it because no one's giving us a, a date. No one's giving us a marker to put down. And so it is just like this cloud, this invisible cloud over the world and I think people are like, how, what, what do we do with this? Like, if you tell me it's going to be a month, fair play. I can mark out a month. I can prep a month. I can do a month of creative things. I can do a month where I'm going to try to read a book. Um, but when you tell people, um, you know, that it could be 18 months or something like this, because there's not going to be a vaccine for over a year, um, you know, the, you're just, I don't think we're, 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 we know how to cope with that. Now, I would say one way to cope with that is balance your headlines with your history. Balance your headlines with your history. Um, as I say, to kind of pull yourself out of your moment and say, you know, man, how has the world gone through different things in the past? So you may have noticed a lot of people have been looking at like, oh, okay, the Spanish flu almost exactly 100 years ago. Spanish flu, how did people react? Certain cities uh, were aggressive early. The death rate was much lower. Other cities were not aggressive at all. The death rate was devastating, right? And so there's a, there's a, a moment where you could look to a historical example for wisdom. I think that that's that's wise, right? Like that's why history is important. I think if all of your intake is immediate headlines, if you're just like doing a ticker of like updates on you know the coronavirus. <laughs> you know, just walk into the woods and cry. Like you can't, no one, we're, human beings, I'm pretty convinced, human beings were not meant to be as connected as we are. Like, I don't think we were designed to be able to handle and absorb the amount of information we are able to absorb. And I think we're also not very good at disciplining our absorption. Like, I don't think your soul can handle a 24-hour news cycle. Like, I'm almost convinced you are not designed to handle that. But you are able to bring that into your, your system, but I don't think you're able to handle that. And I would just say, look at the mental health of this country. Um, look at, look at the difference between the capacity for what we can do and the ability to do that healthy in healthy ways with wisdom. It, those things are not matched up. So I think on one level, you got to say, wait, I am able to bring in all this stuff, but what, what am I equipped with the Lord in my soul to be able to balance well? And so I would say, balance your headline with your history, right? Look, look to more historical things. Look, look, look back a little bit more than just being like caught in this perpetual present, um, instantaneous sort of Twitter feed, right? I think that's a good way to, to not be well. Um, and so thinking about historical examples, but also thinking about examples outside of your place and time, thinking about what people have actually dealt with, like surely this is supposed to be some kind of like wake up call to what matters, what doesn't matter to what real suffering is to, to making decisions based on some kind of perspective, right? Surely this is a moment for perspective. Um, but you're going to have to really deliberately introduce that perspective into your, your diet every day. Um, or you will get run roughshod. Even if you're just connected to friends on social media, you're going to get destroyed with shared headlines and stuff like this, right? So I would try to say, balance your headlines with your history. Don't take in more news than you can pray. Don't take in more news than you can pray. If you're absorbing scary things or, or you know, uncertain things or 
dangerous thing or whatever, and you're not able to process and pray through those things, if there's too much for you to pray to pray through, then you're absorbing too much. Um, so only take in as much as you can pray through, but try to balance your headlines with a little more perspective in history. For example, just recent history um, has been instructive to me. In 2008, when we went through the recession, there was a moment when gas prices were so high that Orange County of all places, which more than anything values, uh, look at me, I made it, look at what I drive, look at what I wear, um, I'm beautiful, whatever. More than almost any place in the country, right? I mean, we're like, we are the epicenter of that sort of consumptive expressionist materialism. Um, But there was a moment during the recession when things were so bad and so hard and so bleak that I remember people's reactions to seeing luxury SUVs on the roads and people were disgusted. They were like ashamed. They were like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? Are you out of your, like there was a moment in the recession when it was, when it was so like obvious that extravagant expressions of purposeless wealth, especially in the form of vehicles that just destroyed gas, which was at such a premium, there was a moment in which people were like ashamed to drive their luxury SUVs in Orange County. And I remember, I remember being in mixed crowds of different companies, um, like on campus, and I remember people's reactions was like a visceral reaction of like, what is wrong with you? Like, like Sebastian Maniscalco would say, aren't you embarrassed? Like, aren't you embarrassed to be driving that? Like, I just, I like that was like 12 years ago in the recession. We got to a point of such sort of, <laughs> I don't know, I gotta be careful. Uh, I almost said moral clarity. Um, we got to the point of such sort of, um, clear understanding of what mattered and what didn't and and the uses of and the important uh, dangerous potential abuses of certain kinds of wealth that it was like a collective like no get a prius like like a car is to get you from a to b like we all suddenly turned into our grandparents and we're just like it's if, if it works it works and who are you to be wasting all? Are you kidding? Like people are lost their jobs and you're driving around in a shiny whatever. Like there was a moment that I just won't forget. And that was not that long ago. Uh, and I would say, man, let this be a moment like that for you. I don't know what your luxury SUV is, okay? But there has got to be a moment where you're sitting at home and you're like looking at the news or you're looking at social media or you're thinking about stuff and you're just like, oh gosh, who cares? Like, oh my gosh, that doesn't matter at all. Oh my gosh. Like there's got to be moments of clarity in your heart about what is essential and what is not essential, right? That this could this should produce that kind of, of contrast. And I, I would say embrace that. Okay. Like embrace it. If, if this is showing you, man, my, <laughs> I forgot I had a family. Um, you know, if this is showing you like the importance of your near relations, maybe the very much challenge of those near relations, but like, if this is showing you like that, you got caught up in something that literally is gone. Like I, 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 I get caught up in like my sports teams, man. Like I, I get really emotionally charged over my, my sports teams and they are gone now. Right. And it's a weird, I'm like, Hmm. <laughs> I don't feel that strongly about most things. Uh, now what do I do, you know? And, like, there is a weird void of, like, not having my my sports, right? Or not having, I don't know what your thing is, but but I would say, man, 
are you are you being shown something, Christian? Are you being shown something by the Lord that that you've invested in that is disproportionate to its value? That you've invested in that is disproportionate to its value. This is a moment in which I hope those kinds of contrasts, those kinds of, of insights are, are readily available. And so, for example, Lisa told me that her Instagram feed has like transformed into this place where musicians and artists are just putting up their drawings, putting up snippets of people playing piano in, out on their like porch and snippets of people like creating things and being in an extreme circumstance and going to the things that matter most and going to things that they're actually, they actually do value and that they know have value and they want to share with other people. And she, it, it was like overnight, you know, Instagram went from like buy this product that I've been pimping for however long to like, hey, um, I wrote this song. Uh, hey, um, we're doing this art thing, or hey, uh, uh, we're reading this book together, or hey, you know, we're doing this whatever. You know, Mo Williams is teaching kids, all of us, how to draw, like uh, in these these cool little videos that are going up, or you know, like that is a moment. That is a moment to to capture that and to say this is happening because it's true. This is happening because other things have been taken away, stripped away. And the distractions have been minimized in, on one level. And people are saying, man, what the heck actually matters about how I spend my day? Uh, well, not that, not that, not that. But this, this does. Like, I think this has value. I think I want, I want to share this thing because it has value. That's an, that's an amazing moment, right? That's, that's a way to not just amorphously like float through one headline to the next, but to actually hunker down into the things you know have value create and invest in those things now in people in calling people you haven't talked to in a while in creating things in sharing things and reading things and enjoying things i've listened to kusc for every waking minute of this entire time now that's generally true when i can but the value of classical music right now and i don't care if you live in california kusc.org my people are they're broadcasting out of their backyards and wherever they are and this music is beauty from heaven. This is this is this is the stuff that can move your soul in a piece of Brahms or in a piece of Rachmaninoff. Or I mean, I'm drawn to like the the Slavs and their sort of broodingness. <laughs> but like Dvorak, like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, listen to KUSC. Don't listen to 24-hour news. Like, that would be an amazing benefit to your soul. So I think there's an opportunity in a moment like this because things are being tested and a lot of the things we got caught up in are being found uh, either absent or at least wanting. The next thing I would say is watch out for spiritual stuff. Watch out for spiritual stuff. Oh, my friends. Um, so Jesus, when he talks, like, maybe you're like, Hey, is this the end times, man? I would say, uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, like it's kind of always been the end times if you're a Christian, like, but watch out. Okay. Jesus says there are going to be many people in moments of crisis and moments of fear, moments of panic who stoke that fear, who, who play on that, who, who get you to panic. Don't be misled who claim things for God that God has not claimed for himself. So. 
people have brought it to my my attention. It would be easy to have seen if I was looking for it. Um, The amount of sudden profits that are amongst us, my friends, especially on Facebook, is startling. Uh, So local area profits suddenly telling us about dreams they've had and visions they've had. And and they all somehow involve Trump and gold coins. And there's very weird like similarities in what people um, are prophesying. My friends, please don't buy into this kind of stuff. If a prophet is true, it will align with what we already know is true in God's word. And in that case, it's hardly sensational, right? Uh, A prophetic word that comes from the Lord to his people is almost always a reminder of things he's already told us. Stay steady, commit to loving your neighbor, right? Do the things that must be done. Live an honest life with integrity. Uh, you know, work at your, stu- your your sinful heart. Like, repent of your stuff. Deal with your issues, right? It's not sexy. It's not, it's not sensational. It's certainly not going to end with someone saying, now donate to my ministry, right, in some weird way. But I'm watching the charlatans let loose. We had uh, televangelists selling uh, miracle cures for the coronavirus until they were uh, shut down by the government and sued by various states. We've had people declaring in prophetic words, which are clearly being made up, uh, things about this present moment that are absurd or panic-ridden or uh, or triumphalistic. Hey, like we're not going to suffer. We're going to be taken out of here through the rapture, right? Dangerous language that would fool you into saying you don't need to live through suffering in a faithful, steady-handed way. Christian, do not be deceived. This is not a moment to be uh, fearful, and this is not a moment to buy into people who are looking for fearful Christians to believe their prophetic words, okay? Now, I know that can sound like a broad, sweeping statement, but we are meant to test everything that purports to be in the name of God. And if it has any kind of hint of provoking or of triumphing or of stirring up fear or panic, Jesus says, do not be misled by these things. He says, don't fear, don't panic, right? Just steadily walk with the Lord. It's always been the same to be a disciple. And Christians in the West, Christians in America, wherever you are, like we have not begun to suffer. So we have no right, we have no right to this desire that springs up in the charlatan's heart to give us these words about, you know, avoiding suffering and being rescued from all the things. It's like we haven't begun to even demonstrate to Christians in history and in other places that we are even faithful to Jesus. Um, You know, we're being inconvenienced with, you know, Netflix crashing occasionally. I mean, it's so low level for most people right now that it is it is potentially a really dangerous place to be trying to buy into or being stoked by sensationalist stuff. Beware of the spiritual charlatans. They are always unleashed in times of crisis. And I hate to say that that's true, but it always has been true. And Jesus says the same. In times of crisis, wars, rumors of wars, many are going to come in my name claiming, claiming that they have the answer, right? Don't be misled. Don't give in to panic. If you are if you're reading somebody's prophetic word and it is building anxiety in your heart or it is giving you a mentality that our group is going to be safe and and a good thing we're going to get the hell out of dodge um, you are reading something that is not coming from the Lord that is not the spirit of the Lord we are connected to our neighbors by love 
and by by common experience and what what more what better time is that to realize than than to all go through this pandemic at the same time we are not trying to get out of here and say good luck anybody else we are trying to be witnesses to jesus living steady calm faithful lives that can endure much testing and and show our neighbors that we really do believe what we what we said. We really do uh, care for others more than ourselves. We really do value the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the worship of Jesus more than anything that is convenient to us. Like. Let this make you a true witness of Jesus in this time. Let this call you to step up and be salt and light, to lead by example, by being a calm witness who is there for your neighbor. Like, I just can't, like, what other time is there than a time like this for these kinds of moments? So, headlines versus history, watch out for spiritual charlatans. They are everywhere. And if you are genuinely sort of caught in a rabbit hole and you're not sure, like shoot me a message or an email and uh, and I'll look it over and try to help, you know, give you some advice or, or guidance when it comes to maybe a particular, I don't know, prophecy. If you're really like, hey, I think this is, this is a real thing, right? But you're at a moment right now in which all the conspiracy theorists are just like rubbing their hands and they're just like, we told you that there was this Illuminati who was going to poison the earth's population to manipulate us. Like, I who gave me somebody shared a video had 2 million views on it. And it was just this nonsense Q conspiracy theory, crazy stuff. And I hate to say it, but most of the pro- prophetic words I'm seeing from so-called Christians is exactly that it's pure conspiracy theory garbage. And I would say to the extent that that makes people fearful or turn on people or get these mentalities of panic or, or better you than me, um, then that stuff's from the pit of hell and it should be consigned there by not uh, taking up any more of your time time than is necessary okay and so i'm going to keep moving forward before i lose my mind um i would also say this because uh the nature of this moment is amorphous right it doesn't have a shape to it right it's one thing to like be like those are the nazis <laughs> like nazis are bad look the nazis are coming to bomb london we need to go to the countryside right like it's one thing to see what you think of as the enemy it's another thing to not be able to see it and, and it's another thing to know or to not know how long um, or where, how long it's going to last. All of that does in the human soul is demand your, or let me, let me put it a different way. Um, that experience of just sort of low level like anxiety that that produces in any normal person um, is that much more of a reminder of the absolute necessity for plot in your life. Now, I'm going to, attack this a couple different ways plot okay plot literally a story structure okay right now we're living in a time that is not plotted okay we don't know the structure of the story we don't know where the rising action is we don't know where the falling action is we don't even really know all the protagonists we don't really understand the setting you know the setting is everywhere apparently it's the whole world right we are living in a time that has no feel for a plot what that means is Actual plots are going to be really important for your health right now. Like actual stories are going to be real important for your health. And I'm talking about fiction. I'm talking about literature. I'm talking about things that have structure. So, for example, uh, murder mysteries. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, right? This is a great time for Sherlock Holmes. Why? Because there's a plot. And there is actual rising and falling action. And there is actual resolution, 
right now, those things are absent from some of this sort of national and global conversation, global uh, experience. And so your, your soul was made to crave a plot because your soul has been stitched to the design of a plotted universe created by an author named God, okay? So literally the entire created reality functions according to a plot, and that is the plot of creation, the plot of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Those are the four movements of actual and plotted time, space, and history. When you are going through something, whether it's personal or in this sense, this sort of global moment, where you feel plotless because you don't know how long something's going to be or how to process certain things or whatever, your soul is going to scream out for plot, for structure, for story, for, for the things that you have actually been made to participate in. So one way of helping you through that moment is to literally just make sure you are introducing stories into your life. It is not okay for you to say, I'm only looking at the news because the news is real. I don't have time for stories or literature or fiction or whatever because that's not real, right? Um, that's a good way to make yourself unhealthy, okay? Uh, the news is actually much less real because we don't know how to plot it yet, okay? So we actually can't understand our present moment well because we have no distance from it. But a plot, a story that is formed, fashioned, well-formed, well-fashioned, don't waste your time on trashy stuff, uh, I hope. Um, but like, you know, again, the structure of a murder mystery. Um, I noticed somebody on Twitter, I think Justin was linking to this. Someone on Twitter said, I'm going to paraphrase this. Someone on Twitter said, when um, I feel sort of uh, unmoored or like I'm floating or whatever, the solidity of a Tolstoy plot becomes so important to me. And he was talking about his love for Tolstoy, right? Uh, Anna Karenina, War and Peace, uh, the death of Ivan Illich. Oh my gosh, so timely for that one. Um, so he was talking about Tolstoy and plot and how his, and I don't know if he was a believer, I don't think he was necessarily, but he was just talking about how his soul needs and, and so deeply appreciates the, the, the perfectly crafted plot of a Tolstoy novel. And so what that led to was, he said, I'm gonna read War and Peace a little bit each day during this, if anybody wants to read it with me. And I saw a bunch of people like, yes, yes, yes. Because what perfect book is there for a time like this? War and Peace, that's literally the joke book that no one can read because it's too big. It's gonna to take too long, right? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you a perfect novel for the pandemic is War and Peace because I, I, I'm gonna guess it's gonna, you're gonna have time. I'm going to guess that if you actually read a little bit of that every day, um, you would actually find that you had read War and Peace uh, while we're in the midst of this thing. And, and, and yet the idea of a finely crafted plot being something you need as much as you need exercise, which you do, as much as you need to go out for walks, which you do every day, or you're going to become you know, unwell, um, you need that kind of plot. So whether it's Tolstoy and you want to you know, take down the, the big dog, or um, I was just talking to Rochelle the other day, she just read Les Miserables, same thing, Victor Hugo, master with a plot, Les Mis, master storytelling, fantastic stuff. If you want to get in uh, to something, but maybe you know, isn't doesn't feel like it's, uh, Everest, although those things are really accessible in my experience, um, I would recommend a book like Watership Down that has a very clear sort of like here we go and by the way opens with a moment of sort of panic, terror, like flee <laughs> flee from this present moment uh, and try to figure out what's next by moving forward. 
Watership Down, highly recommended as a good plot. And then once you find a, a, a story, a book, I'm going to say like a book, and, and I'm a big audio guy, so I'm all for Audible stuff right now. Um, go on a walk, listen to Sherlock Holmes. You know, uh, read by Stephen Fry. That's the best version. Um, you know, what better time for the sign of the four or or um, or uh, the Hound of Baskervilles or I mean, like this stuff is so primed for a moment like this for your soul. So find some stories that you can hook into. You're going to write maybe read in the evenings as a family or, or, or just read in the evenings uh, by yourself in front of the fire, chilling with uh, maybe a glass of wine or whatever is your, your thing. Um, find some good stories to, to kind of structure your time a little bit. And then I would say, um, for Christians, because that's probably who's listening to this, um, you need the plot, the master plot. You need the plot of Scripture. You need the plot of the gospel. You need to be anchored into the gospel plot at this moment. Now, for our church, if you're connected to our church, or even if you're not, but if you are, on Sunday mornings we are in John's gospel. So guess what, my friends? God has appointed you. If you go to, to Zoe, God has appointed that John's gospel is your plot at this season, right? That these this is the structure of, of your spiritual life with the Lord is going to be the gospel according to John, right? You've been given that. That's that's for you, right? That's that's what you've been receiving uh, every Lord's Day that we've been uh, in, in the gospel of John. Let that be your plot right now. Let that be your your spiritual connection, your anchor, your grounding. When you start to get a little whatever, go back to John's gospel and remind yourself of where we are, what happened before, what's coming next. Find your feet in the in the dust of the Galilee with Jesus and the disciples, with the woman at the well. You know, wherever we are, you need you need that kind of uh, sort of fleshy, incarnational groundedness in a moment like this, how much more important is it for you to invest in your time in the word right now? How much more important is it for you to invest your time in spiritual things, in prayer, right? Like to, to step up that commitment. Now that you're home with family more, let's do some official family devotions in a more structured way where it's a little more intentional. Um, if you're, you know, like just living at home with, you know, people that aren't necessarily whatever, like let's ask them, hey, you want to, you want to, let's do a Bible study. Let's, let's talk about some of these things. Or if you're, if you're around other believers and you happen to be living in that kind of environment, um, why not pray for specific people and places at unique different times of the day as a way of just structuring the day differently, right? We lack for structure in a time. We don't know what to do with ourselves when we're getting stir crazy. So I would say plot your life according to these moments with the word and the plot of the gospel. Plot your life according to prayer. Um, and, and then the last thing I would say is this, um, it's Lent, uh, it's Lent, Lent, in other words, the church calendar is already our structure for time. You know, as Christians, we are not beholden to the world's calendar to structure our hearts and our minds and our activities. We are, we are connected to the church's calendar to structure our thoughts and our time and our activities. And we are very deliberately right now and probably not ironically at all in a season of Lent. And Lent, if you don't know, 
is that season that begins with Ash Wednesday and goes all the way to that very real day where we celebrate Easter. And if you're not sure about this year, it's April 12th. Sunday, April 12th is Easter. I don't know how long this or that thing is going to happen. I don't know when the CDC is going to say this or when they're going to recommend that. I do know we are going to celebrate Easter on April 12th. I do know we are in a season called Lent in which Christians are meant to voluntarily give up certain conveniences to focus on what we have in Jesus, to voluntarily uh, take on certain forms of austerity and restriction to connect us more deeply with where we're actually at with the Lord and who the Lord actually is in himself. This is the most obvious form of observing Lent I've ever seen in my life. This is a global Lent. This is a, you know, the CDC is helping me observe Lent, okay? Um, all the things I, I might rather do, uh, I'm being told, no, sorry. And, and then when I want to be like, no, but, but me, you know, I, I got to remember, wait, not me, Lent. You know, Protestants aren't good at observing Lent, I'll say in general. I mean, my buddies who are Catholics are really good. They got the, they got the, the charcoal. They got everything. Um, but Protestants in general, evangelicals, we're like, Lent? <laughs> what even is Lent? Some weird Catholic thing. Like, we're not good with that. But but let me just echo the words of, uh, of Reverend uh, Butler, my Anglo-Catholic friend, um, he gave an address not too long ago to our school about the church calendar, and he says a calendar is a story we tell about time. A calendar is a story we tell about time, and the church calendar is telling the true story about time, in that time itself revolves around the works and acts of God in Jesus Christ. That's how time is actually structured. So we have been given an enormous gift to be able to observe the seasons of the church calendar, to be able to anticipate um, the celebration of Easter. That is going to happen no matter what. I don't care how we do it or how we're going to have to do it. That is what's going to happen. We are meant to implot our hearts and our minds according to what God has done in history in Jesus Christ. And this is an amazing time. If you have not done that before, this is an amazing time. If you haven't been reading much or if you've not really connected um, with what your church is going through as far as what story or what text or what book, this is an amazing time to hunker down into those places for structure, for plot, for the plot that God has been revealing. It's an amazing time to go through Lent. It's an amazing time to anticipate that at the end of all these things, the reason we do not fear is because Jesus Christ has gone down into the heart of death itself and emerged on the other side, victor over that fear, over that last great fear of all mankind. And that That's literally the season we're meant to be reflecting on, our mortality and then the victory of Christ over even death. My friends, there's no other story that your soul needs. So I would just encourage you, find creative ways to engage this strange time. Find creative ways to plot your heart according to prayer and time in scripture and according to the celebration of Lent and eventually of Easter. And 
all these things have been given to us and they're going to carry us through a moment like this. So I want you to be well. I, I hadn't planned on doing this and I, I hope it's of some use to you. Um, it is a unique time, but I would also say don't waste it. Don't look back on a moment like this and be like, well, we got through it, but man, that was really annoying. Like, let this be a decisive turning point for you in your commitment to Jesus. Let this be a moment where you're called to something more, where you're called to step up into a connection. Let it be a time where you're surprised by what happens next. Uh, let me close this way. In World War II, in that, that season, I, I always thought I wanted to have been around and tested by. Um, when those kids were evacuated from London uh, in the millions, you know, they were sent to the countryside, some of them to strangers' homes, some of them to nowhere. They just had to get them out, and they didn't know where they were going to end up. Um, millions of kids poured into the English countryside. And according to one book I've heard, there were four kids um, named Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. And they ended up at a man named Kirk's house in the countryside. And it was a strange big house, and he was a strange old professor. And in that house, they saw an opportunity far from their parents. Their father was fighting in the war. Their mother had to stay in London, was working uh, in a factory during the war. They had this moment where they were in a new place in a strange circumstance, and they could give in to fear, or they could, or they could embrace it and, and, and be curious about it and be interested in it. It says at the beginning of that story, these kids were in this house, this big drafty house, and they were excited because they said, you know, they were going to go explore the next day. They were going to go explore the fields. They were going to look around. They were going to the countryside is a beautiful place. And then when they woke up in the morning, it was raining. It was just like like the rain we've been getting in Orange County lately. It was like it just added to the gloominess of the circumstance. It just added to the cloud that was potentially over their hearts and. And so when they woke up in the morning and all their plans had to change again and they were going to be restricted to being inside this large, strange, kind of kind of creepy house, um, they had a decision to make where they were going to either be um, really depressed about that or they were going to explore. And so they decided to explore. And the house was large and had many interesting rooms and antiques and things to poke around in. And eventually the children came to a room that was empty except for, of course, a large wardrobe. And Peter and Susan and Edmund uh, eventually thought nothing much of the room, and so they left to keep exploring. But Lucy stayed, of course, and opened the doors of this wardrobe. And it contained these fur coats, and she had always loved fur and the feel of it on her face, and so she stepped in to the wardrobe to feel the coats against her face. And she noticed that the first row of coats opened to a second row of coats, and she went further in and further in and further in, walking deeper, of course, into the wardrobe. And then eventually, instead of reaching the back, she felt that there was something else. There was snow under her feet and evergreen branches that were hitting her face and her hands. And she suddenly emerged out of the back of this wardrobe to find herself standing in a winter landscape at night. And it was snowing. She was scared, but she was excited. And when she turned around, she could see the fur coats hanging in the wardrobe and the empty room through the wardrobe door. But when she looked ahead of her, she saw the snowy wood. And instead of going back, she walked toward the light that she could see in the distance. 
and she found that it was a lamppost. I don't know exactly how the Lord will use a moment like this. I do know the Lord will use a moment like this. In our Lenten restrictions, there is goodness. In our isolation, there is the chance to discover things in the Lord that we may be changed by. I want to encourage you in a moment like this to press into the things that are around you, to invest in the things that you know God has given to you for a time like this, and to be anticipating moments of discovery that may be surprising and may fill you with more joy than we have any right to feel. Um, I hope you do well during this season. It is going to require something of all of us as Christians to step forward and to engage each other and to pray for each other. Um, This is just one little avenue of trying to encourage you. Um, But I would say, you know, bind together with those in your local churches, be in good communication, pray for one another. uh, And let's just ask the Lord, not only for his mercy in a time like this, a time of sickness, not only for his grace uh, to get through this, but that we'd not waste it that we'd not waste the opportunity to discover in a time like this something more. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. If you found any of this interesting, we do hope you will share the podcast, that you will rate us on iTunes with those five sweet stars, and and that you will subscribe, and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your mother Lois to subscribe. And your sweet, sweet grandmother, old grandmother Eunice. Eunice should definitely subscribe. Until next time, may you live well, think well, and love well. Godspeed.